Precious Father, we, Lord, come to you and ask, Father, for you to do a divine miracle in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Lord, as we approach the ninth chapter of the book of the Revelation, there is much, much information to disseminate. There are, there are heavy realities for us to consider. There are terrifying truths for us to swallow. And God, I pray that you will grant the grace for us to digest this truth tonight. Lord, I pray that, Lord, the greatness of your grace in saving and sealing us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will anchor our souls and calm our spirits as we look in this section of Scripture. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your copy of the Sacred Scriptures and open it to the book of the Revelation, the ninth chapter. Revelation chapter number 9. And tonight we are going to focus in on trumpet number five. So we're going to read verses one through 11. And I simply drop as a title over this section of scripture, the sound of terror part two. Beginning in verse one, it says in the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from that shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. 
In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and with, with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is Hebrew, is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight... Uh, we are continuing to listen to these trumpeting sounds of terror. Uh, the seventh and final seal has been broken, uh, and we find ourselves somewhere in the last quarter of the Great Tribulation. Uh, now, the last time we were together on a Sunday night, um, and we were here in the book of the Revelation. We heard the terrifying sounds of trumpets one, two, three, and four. And those trumpets were terrifying judgments on the uh, terrestrial planet, the physical earth. They were a uh, continuation, so, so to speak, of the cosmic calamities and environmental calamities that were happening at, that, that it was bringing upon the earth. Uh, well, uh, if you thought uh, those catastrophes were terrifying, to use bad English, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? Uh, it, it gets worse in my estimation. Um, up upon the completion of the fourth trumpet, we saw at the end of chapter 8, verse 13, there's an angel that flies. It was an angel. It's not one of the angels that has a trumpet. This is a different angel. This angel flies over and he makes an ominous and foreboding announcement. He said, and I'll, I'll go back to verse th 13 of chapter 8. He said, woe, woe, woe. That's a lot of woes, okay? Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other three trumpets and the three angels that the three angels are about to blow. Now, woe is a word that indicates great distress and the distress of unbelievers. I can't overemphasize that word unbelievers. The distress of unbelievers is about to be tripled with these final three trumpets. Woe, woe, woe to them that dwell on the earth. Now I say unbelievers because of the language that is used in verse 13. That phrase, those who dwell on the earth, if you'll recall, that's a 
technical term that is used as a reference to lost humanity, to unbelievers. Um, You find it used that way in Revelation chapter 3, and in Revelation chapter 6, and in Revelation chapter 9, and in Revelation chapter 11, and in Revelation chapter 17. Whereas the first four trumpets that we saw brought natural disaster to the world, these next three trumpets will bring spiritual disaster on the human family. If you thought the sound and the sight of incoming asteroids were scary, wait until the world comes face to face with a pure demonic evil that has not been loosed on this planet in thousands upon thousands of years. It will be quite an event. That is what is going to happen. This unleashing of this demonic power when trumpet number five is blown. Well, what is so ominous and foreboding about this trumpet number five that it is worse than anything the world has seen to this point during the time of the day of the Lord. What is it about this? Well, there are about five things that I want to note about the fifth trumpet as we look at verses 1 through 11 tonight. And the first thing that we see, starting logically in verse 1, is we see that there is a star fallen from heaven. Now, previously, when we have read of a star falling from heaven, the context would reveal to us that that is a literal astros, that is a literal rock, from the heavenlies that is, is falling to the earth and it is, is plummeting to the earth and it is striking the earth. Um, this is not the case in Revelation 9 and verse 1. This is not a literal object. This is not a literal asteroid. The star here is a supernatural personality. This is a being. This is an individual. This is uh, a being. And, And John here, John did not see this being fall from heaven. Now, how do I know that? Well, the verb that is used there in verse number one is in the perfect tense. It's in such a tense in the Greek that it's indicating the time of the falling was in the past, but it's a completed action with continuing results right now. And this past event, which, by the way, the King James kind of butchers translation here, is, a, is, is symbolic of a personality. It is referring to an individual. The context proves this. Let's look at some of the context around this. Uh, This star is given a key. It's given a key to the bottomless pit, and this star is called a he. Verse 1. This star performs the actions of a person. He opens the shaft. 
of the bottomless pit, verse 2. This star is given authority. It's implied with key in reference to king, verses 1 and 2, and in verse number 11. This star is, all, the term star itself is often used in Scripture, especially in Old Testament Hebrew thought, as a reference to angelic beings. We, you can see that, for example, it's in Job 38 and verse 7. This star is given a personal name. He is called Abaddon and Apollyon. So, who is this fallen star? Who is this person here? Well, this is a reference in verse 1 to Satan himself. This is a reference to the son of the morning who fell millennia ago. Okay? Isaiah refers to that event in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 20. Ezekiel describes the same event in Ezekiel chapter number 28, verses 11 through 19. John mentions it here, and he'll talk about it again over in Revelation chapter number 12, verses 7, 8, and 9. Well, by the time... Looking at a timeline, by the time that the trumpet number five is blown, now Satan's already been cast down. Remember, he has fallen. This is a past event. He's fallen in the past, in millennia past. But it is only at this juncture, when the trumpet number five is blown, that Satan is given... An authority by God that he previously did not have. And that authority is to unlock and open this bottomless pit and allow something to come out. Now that is what is new here. So what is this bottomless pit? The term that is used here in the Greek... It sounds like you're saying apostos when you say it, but it's, it's, it's abyssos is what it is, okay? It's what the term is, and it is used seven times in the book of the Revelation, and it is always being used to refer to the abode of fallen spirits, to the abode of demons, the prison where, this is a prison where demons are kept incarcerated. Now, Satan and most of the demons are loose now on the planet. They go to and fro. They, um, they, they go now. They are there among us now. Um, they are the, the spirits and the powers of the air. They are the principalities that wage war against us that uh, Paul talks about, for example, in Ephesians chapter number 6. They are loosed on the world at this present time. Uh, But there are demonic spirits that are not loose. There are demonic spirits that God at His own discretion and at His own determination locked 
in the chains of the bottomless pit because their crimes were so heinous that he deemed them that way, that he locked them in the pit and they would not be loosed until the time of the end at this point in time to do God's bidding. And it'll be only for a short time. And then they and all the demons and Satan himself will be ultimately, eventually cast into the lake of fire where finally Satan and the demons will be in torment along with lost humanity forever. Now, we read about this bottomless pit, this place of demonic imprisonment in other places in the New Testament. For example, we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 in verse 4 these words, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains, the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now he's referring to spirits that he put in prison, and the word in English is hell. Okay, we know that that word in the Greek is Tardis, which is, a, is an aspect of hell that is a compartment of hell that is a reference to the same thing as the abyssus or the bottomless pit that John is referring to. Well, what kind of demons were put in this pit? Well, shall we say, very bad ones. All right? Very bad ones. Uh, God deems them so. Uh, the little book of Jude gives us a clue as to a, the crime of these angels that are demons. That's what demons are, if you're not familiar with that. They are fallen, angelic beings. Well, in Jude, there's no chapters in Jude. They're just verses. In verse 6 and verse 7, we read this. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He, that is God, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. That great day is the day of the Lord. That's what we're talking about here in Revelation. And so until that great day, and it goes on, it gives an example, a comparative illustration of what these angels have done. He said, what have they done? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, likewise, comparison between Sodom and Gomorrah and these angels, as they likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing an, a, a punishment of eternal fire. Now, let's put on the brakes for a minute. What, what, the, what did these angels do? What did they do? Well, according to Jude, they left their proper dwelling. Well, 
what did they do when they left their proper dwelling? Well, whatever they did, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah. What did Sodom and Gomorrah do? Well, they indulged in sexual immorality. Now, for Sodom and Gomorrah, the unnatural desire was their craving for for the, the, the flesh of the same sex. It was homosexuality there in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Here, the unnatural desire is a little different. These angels did similar. And they did it prior to the global flood that we read about in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6, you see, the Bible says that in those days... The sons of God, that Hebrew, that sons of God is not referring to sons of God like we are adopted as sons of God through Christ or as Jesus is the only begotten son of God. That phrase in the Hebrew is being hak Elohim, the sons of God. And it's, it's a phrase that refers to angelic beings. Well, we read that the ben Hach Elohim in Genesis left their habitation and they lusted after the daughters of men. And the sons of God mated. How is that possible? I don't know. I just know what the report says, what the Bible says. They mated with the daughters of men. They had sex with them. And the result was a monstrous demonic hybrid. One, the scripture calls the Nephilim. The giants of old. Sound like science fiction to you? Well, now you can get you some contemporary commentaries and you will find guys that completely remove the supernatural out of the Genesis 6 account and they will say that that's referring to a line of kings, earthly kings. I just say that's just not, I don't see that. That, that, that what I'm saying goes in line with what Jude is saying. What I'm saying seems to make contextual sense. But I digress. You see, we read Genesis 6 and you discover that the actions of the angels mating with the daughters of men is what led to the increase of wickedness on the earth, which led to God sending the global flood, which cleansed the whole earth of this, this inbreeding and left only Noah and his family, the only ones who were found to be righteous, to be able to continue the human line so that Messiah would come. Now, these demons, like those of Genesis 6, they're not the only ones contained in the dark holding tank of the abyss. Uh, we know from Luke 8, 31, that uh, you, you, you remember when Jesus encountered the demoniac on the island of Gerasenes. He was possessed with a legion of demons. The demons spoke when they came into the uh, presence of Jesus. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Please do not. Have you come to torture us before the time? Have you, have you come? Please do not send us to the pit. 
What, what were they talking about? They were talking about the Abyssos. They were talking about the bottomless pit. They were talking about the prison, the, the place of demonic incarceration. Well, I, I think Jesus did send them there. I mean, he, he sent them to the pigs. The pigs went off of a cliff and they became disembodied from the pigs and I think they, they, they sank into the bottomless pit. I personally think that every demon that Jesus exercises, cast out every demon that is cast out of a human a host is sent to the pit. Now, I, 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 that, that's, that's what you call scatology. <laughs> I don't know that to be so. But I wonder that. Well, um, the point is some bad, bad, bad demonic forces are about to be unleashed on the planet when we come to trumpet number five. They were bad to begin with, okay? But oh my, can you imagine how bad they are now? Do you, can you imagine how vicious, how mad they are? They have been locked in darkness for thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And now they're going to be set free for a season. Can you imagine how angry they must be? So in verse 1, we see that a star has fallen, and he's given this key and this authority to unlock this abyssal, this bottomless pit. But then we come to verses 2 and 3, and we see the demonic frenzy that is loosed. Listen again to verses 2 and 3. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke came, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. So here we are. Keep put in the lock. Figuratively, the door is open, smoke arises, and the atmosphere is polluted and darkened with the stench of 6,000 years. And that's just a figurative number. I'm not saying it's literally 6,000, maybe it's more, perhaps. And here we are. One writer whose name I have, it, it's left me right now. I, I, I wrote down what he said. I misplaced his name, but I, this is not from me. I'm going to quote him. He describes the event like this. And I quote, picture what the world would be like. He said, picture what the world would be like if we were to open the doors of all the penitentiaries of earth and set free the world's most vicious and violent criminals, giving them full reign to practice their infamies upon mankind. Something worse than that lies in store for the world. Satan cast out of heaven is now permitted to summon to his aid the most diabolical fiends in the abyss to act as his agents in bringing mankind to the footstool of the beast. End quote. Wow. So we see a demonic frenzy is loosed, verses 2 and 3. 
And also from verse 3 down through verse 6, now we see there is a demonic scheme that is authorized. Think about this. Verse 3, we see the appearance of these demonic creatures from the abyss. In verses here, simply they're called locusts with the stinging power of scorpions coming out of the abyss. These, these are demons, but they will take on the form described in verses 7 following. Now, guys, this is a, in my estimation, this is a literal phenomena. This is a literal phenomena that will occur, and it has great spiritual significance in my estimation. In Scripture, locusts are associated with divine wrath. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, and you see that. This is why they are called locusts. But unlike the locusts of history that would attack vegetation, these are commanded not to hurt the grass. <laughs> but you're going to hurt people. You're going to hurt men. You're going to hurt women. You're going to hurt all of humanity that is not sealed with the seal of God. Wow. Now, verse 4. It tells us in, in, in this verse, these demon creatures are, are, again, they're told not to do what lo locusts normally do. Um, and you think about the Old Testament, you think about locusts in, in, in biblical history. They're, they're always the symbol, symbol of destruction and terror. I've, I've read about how they would sometimes travel and... Uh, Columns a hundred feet deep and up to four miles wide, and they would completely just ravage the land, destroying vegetation, all, all vegetation in their pathway. Well, who gives the command here, according to verse 4? Who gives the command to only hurt man and not vegetation? It's not the star that fell from heaven, it's God. God gives the order. God gives the command. God is the sovereign king of the universe. God, you see, the demons answer to God. Satan answers to God. God is in control. The only one that is excluded from this judgment are those that have the seal of God. Then those who are they, if you'll recall... By the way, I'm still going to provide with you the uh, manuscript where I literally type out. I will sit down and type out what I'm imagining that I'm going to be saying as I deal with the text. I'm going to provide that to you because there were some heavy truths in when we were back looking at the 144,000. But nevertheless, these are these are, are are the believers that are that are sealed and they're representative of of believers and any believer. Um, and they would be spared this torment. Why? Because this is a judgment that is going to be upon men who have rejected Christ. You are not objects of wrath. It will not come to your house. Do not let these things scare you, saint. Do not let these things terrify you and keep you up at night and cause you to have to call the doctor and want to take a pill or something. Know that you are secured and you are in 
encapsulated and the cocoon of God's justifying grace and He's got you. And if you were there and you were alive and you were present during this time, you need not fear the devil. For though he roams about like a roaring lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah has you in the palm of his sovereign, securing, gracious hand. Don't you ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. I tell you, the fact that He's not permitting these spirits to kill these lost people, you still see God's mercy in that. Do you hear me? You still see God's mercy in that in hopes that it will drive some to humility and repentance and faith. I'm afraid we will find that it does not. Nevertheless, let's move on. Verse 5, it's interesting to note, again, specific limitations Limitations that are placed on these demonic creatures by God. They're limited as to what and to who they may strike. Verse 4, they're limited as to how far they may go in torment. They cannot go unto death. And they're limited as to how long they can do it. They only have five months. Five months to do this. They're called, they're likened unto scorpions with their torment. Uh, it's from the, the Greek word uh, scorpius. Uh, and you know what a scorpion is. Thank God I've never been stung by one. They've got little claws. They've got a tail with a stinger on it. My mom was stung by one when I was in about the 7th or 8th grade. And she's talked a lot about how that thing hurt. How many of you in here have ever been stung by a scorpion? Okay, you haven't either. But uh, I, it's not, not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. Um, and so here we have these spirits that are likened unto scorpions with their claws and a stinger and uh, a tail that secretes poison. Uh, please notice that these demons, are, they're not called scorpions, nor are we told they look like scorpions, but that they have the power. The power, verse 3, and the power to torment like that of a scorpion, verse 5. This means they have, all this simply means, now this is getting into some symbolism in my period. It just simply means that they have been given the power to cause tremendous pain, 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 short of death. And wow, 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 wow. Verse 6 is really troubling if you think about it. In this verse, we see the effect of this torment. It will drive men to want to seek death. It will drive men to want to seek suicide. But they will be unable to accomplish it. They will not be able to kill themselves. Death will elude them. Now this is astounding and clearly a supernatural restraint of God that stresses and demonstrates His absolute authority and sovereignty. As Charles Ryrie put it, and I quote him, 
bodies will not sink and drown. Poisons and pills will have no effect. And somehow even bullets and knives will not do their intended job. End quote. Can you imagine that? The pain and the torment is so great. And you just say, I want to end it. I want out. I want to escape from this body. And a guy takes a 38 to his head, pulls the trigger, and it fires. Yet he cannot die. Not realizing that if he succeeded in killing him, he would face a pain and a torment forever that is far greater than what he's experiencing in that moment of the fifth trumpet. Wow. We notice also when we get to verses 9 and 10. Now what have we seen? We've seen a star fallen. We've seen a demonic frenzy that is loose. We've seen a demonic scheme that is authorized. Now verses 7 through 10, we see a description of the demonic beings given. Uh, For eons past, demons have cloaked themselves pretty much as angels of light. Uh, yes, they are, there are moments when their true appearance is seen, but for the most part, they, they, they come as appealing. They come as godly. They come as ministers of righteousness. They look good. That's part of the deception. It's an illusion. But the demons released are going to be completely unmasked, and they will be seen for the hideousness that they are. Even Satan is unmasked, verse 11, for who he is. Listen to verses 9 through 10. In appearance, the locusts will be like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. He gives us about eight likes, what they're like. Didn't say they are these things, but they're like them. Describing these demonic beings. And lastly, in these verses, we see that the leader of this group is a destroyer. Satan is seen for who he is. Verse number 11, their king is named. He is the one who is given authority to open the shaft of the pit. He is the one who is the star fallen from heaven. He's Satan himself. He's the former cherub in all his beauty. The one whose mode of operation was an angel of light to deceive the nations. He is unmasked and there's a name given him to show who he really is. Verse 11 says, They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. And they both mean destroyer. Destroyer. He steals, he kills, and he destroys, says Jesus in the Gospels. My friend, 
I would simply close tonight by reminding you to rejoice in the seal of God that these things will not touch nor harm you if you are born again. Let these horrifying things to come compel you, though, to share the gospel of grace with those around you. To share the gospel of grace with those that you go to work with, with those that are in your family, with those that you go to school with, with those that are around you. And let them know that Satan is real. Sin will be punished. But there is a Savior. There is a Savior who cleanses, a Savior that forgives, a Savior that restores, a Savior that will transform, a Savior that redeems. That is the gospel. Tell them. Tell them while they hear. Tell them while you can. Let's pray. Precious Father, we bow before you tonight.